Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lightworks Podcast. I am your host, Martha Newcomb. If you are listening for the first time, thank you so much for tuning in. I pray that today's podcast ministers to you. I know it's been a while since I did a podcast. I have been working on music. For those of you who don't know, I am also an indie Christian recording artist under my artist's name, Martha Elisa. So that is why I have been kind of missing in action for a few weeks. I also wait for God's leading on what to share. And that is why there might be a break in between podcast episodes. With that said, today's podcast is one I hope you find helpful. In today's episode, we will be discussing a gentle approach to evangelism. Now, I want to start off by saying there is not one way to evangelize. There is not a one-size-fits-all approach of sharing the gospel because every person is different. However, there is a way that is gentle and anyone can do it. Whether you consider yourself a baby Christian or a seasoned Christian, this gentle approach stands the test of time. But before we begin, I first want to define evangelism. So we all start off on the same page. So to evangelize is to proclaim the good news of the victory of God's salvation. So in its most basic definition, to evangelize is to share the good news of the gospel. And what is that good news? We see the good news explained by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter, first, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So according to scripture, we learn that the good news of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and raised again on the third day, just as scripture said. Now, most Christians know this information. However, how do we as believers translate this information to unbelievers? This is the part that Christians find most difficult. And this is the part that gets overcomplicated. Before I get into the gentle approach of evangelism, I want to remind you of the mindset of an unbeliever. The reason being is that over time, as Christians, we forget what being an unbeliever is like in our our mind. As Christians, we have the advantage of having the Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us. However, those who are unbelievers do not have this advantage. Romans 8-7 speaks on the mindset of the unbeliever. In verse 7, it says, the mindset of the flesh 
is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. You see, as a Christian, it is important to be aware of the fact that unbelievers only think in the flesh. Another point I want to make is that an unbeliever cannot submit to God's law. They are unable to. The reason I bring this up is because I see an influx of Christians trying very hard to point out an unbeliever's sin to win them over to Christ. Now, I understand the intent here. However, I have seen more harm done in this approach than good. When we understand that unbelievers think in the flesh and cannot submit to God's law, we know that calling out what unbelievers are specifically doing wrong is only going to make them hostile. I want to remind you of something Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12. He says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? As a Christian, we are to hold other Christians accountable because we all know the truth. With that said, that should be handled according to scripture. However, when it came to judging the world and unbelievers, Paul said it wasn't his business to judge the outside because they are not believers. When I point out someone's sin, for example, let's say I have a coworker who likes to sleep around and I tell her that what she is doing is sin and that she needs to repent because God says that what she is doing is sin. Now, what do you think will happen? You see, to her in her flesh, she will react in a hostile way. I'm also coming to her as a judge. I'm expecting her to automatically understand reverence for God and obedience to God. When scripture says she cannot submit to God's law and is unable to. This is putting the cart before the horse. On social media, I see many Christians targeting unbelievers and the different ways they sin. Now again, I understand the intent here. But I also am aware of the mindset of the flesh. Therefore, I understand when believers say, all Christians do is judge. They tell me I'm going to hell. Now, we mean well. We want to remove the blinders from their eyes. So we figure, let's tell them about their sin so we can save them from hell. I know all about that because I used to do those things. In fact, I was a Christian debater. I debated every topic. I learned every argument from the other side so I would be well-versed in my side. It came to the point where unbelievers were so annoyed by my apologetics that they avoided me. Instead of 
building bridges, I burnt them down to the ground. Was I a good debater? I thought so. But I was not personable. I wasn't truly listening to the person I was supposed to be ministering to. I was too busy trying to prove that I was right. I was putting labels on them in my mind while I heard them talk about why they disagreed with my faith. Instead of hearing them out, I was already thinking of the next thing I was going to say. Then, as I went to Bible college, I studied mental health. I began to see how the mindset of an unbeliever is fractured, but also void of the Holy Spirit's guidance. It's so easy to forget how we thought before being saved. We remember all the bad we did, but our thought process as former unbelievers, it's hard to fathom because our minds have been renewed with the help of the Holy Spirit. You see, in my thinking, I expected those I evangelized to to believe what I said because I'm telling them this is the right way to believe. I might not have said it in that way, but my attitude reflected that notion. Although I spoke in truth, in my zeal, I forgot to extend grace and exude love. Now that I explained the mindset of an unbeliever, I want to talk about the works of the unbeliever. If I understand that scripture states that the flesh is going to be hostile to the things of God, I know already that I shouldn't be shocked by how the unbeliever thinks, speaks, or acts. I shouldn't also expect them to just automatically accept the truth or expect them to have reverence for God or his law just because I told them. But to give more clarity, I want to use scripture. In Galatians 5 verses 19, 19 through 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, I think we can all agree this is very present in our world. These are the works of the flesh. This is what is expected of those who are unbelievers. And it's only going to get worse over time, as scripture warns. Now, I say this because as Christians, we should not be shocked by the state of our world. However, this should cause us to have a burden for the unbeliever and for the future generations. You might think, Martha, where are you going with this? So here it is. Before I get into the how-to, it was critical for me to explain to you the spiritual condition of the person you are ministering to because I think sometimes we forget. It was important for me to share their spiritual condition because once you know how they think and how they act, when you minister to them, you will be aware and 
you will be more effective evangelizing once you know their spiritual condition. Once you know how they think, once you know what to expect. Every person you evangelize to will be different. They will have their own unique personality and story. However, their spiritual condition is the same and their flesh is what leads them. So remember that going in. Don't expect them to automatically receive what you say. Be mindful that their flesh will be hostile to God and his law, which means that they will be hostile to you. So if you are going to use the approach of pointing out their sin, just know it will be met with hostility. But if you want to try a gentler approach, focus on you and not them. So what do I mean? Well, the most valuable and tangible tool every believer has is their own story. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a theologian or a scholar. You are the proof a person needs to see the power of God. Your story tells the bad news of life without God and the good news of God in your life. No one can object to your story because it's your testimony and it's your story. Think for a moment, what does knowing Jesus do for you? How has your life changed since knowing him? Through your story, you are introducing Jesus to that person. The gentler approach is all about pointing unbelievers to Jesus through your testimony, not by pointing out their sin. See, me personally, I focus on my sin, how Jesus forgave me and changed me, all while pointing them to Jesus. I know God will do the rest. I trust him that he will, and God is faithful. But the unbeliever needs to first know about Jesus and what he did for you. Then the dots will start to connect. But how? How will they connect? So I want to explain this to you, but I want to explain this with something that is used within mental health. It's a mental health concept. But it's something you probably already have experienced. See, there's a term called linking. This is what happens when someone is telling a story or hearing a story. For instance, the person listening to someone tell a story starts to relate to the story by linking their own personal struggles with those of the storyteller. We do this with movies as well, right? We can relate to a character in the movie. This happens without really thinking about it. It's also non-confrontational 
it's personable, and it encourages dialogue. The issue with some of the more bolder approaches is that they can cause people to be defensive, and we really want unbelievers to feel welcomed and offer a safe place for them to talk. I don't want to come off dismissive either, because that will only end the conversation and potentially burn a bridge with that person. Remember, the goal of evangelism is to share the good news, not try to impersonate the Holy Spirit. God is a gentleman and he will not force himself on no one. Gentleness is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that misplaced zeal can lead to a pharisaical attitude. So we want to be careful in making sure that how we approach unbelievers lines up with the fruit of the Spirit. As Christians, expect for unbelievers to act in the flesh. However, as Christians, what does it mean for us to walk in the fruit of the Spirit? Well, in Galatians 5.22 to 23, it tells us, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, against such things, there is no law. Therefore, when we evangelize, the fruit of the Spirit needs to be operating while we share our faith. In fact, they need to be evident in our life daily. Not just in word, but deed. The power of our witness is what makes our testimony effective. Therefore, how we live and present ourselves to unbelievers matters. They need to see Jesus in us. However, when we argue with unbelievers or try to debate them, we truly have lost sight of the gospel of peace. Now, I want to transition to the power of testimony. The Bible is filled with testimonies of eyewitness accounts of encounters with Jesus and all that he did. But there are two that I want to share that will encourage you in sharing your faith. The first is in John chapter 9. You see, there was a blind man that Jesus healed. The disciples looked at him and assumed he or his parents had sinned to cause his blindness. However, Jesus told the disciples in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, let's fast forward to verse 8. It says this about the blind man. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. You see, people began to recognize the blind man and noticed that he could see. Some were not sure. However, he himself ended up confirming his identity. 
He told them about his encounter with Jesus. And after they saw him and heard his testimony, they wanted to know where they could find Jesus. He was even brought to the Pharisees where he had to repeat his testimony. And although they tried to find fault with him or disprove his testimony, they could not deny the fact that he could see. However, it was his response to them that we should find encouraging. He said in verse 25, he replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You see, the blind man did not have any sophisticated answers. He simply shared his testimony of what Jesus did for him. We all know what it's like to be spiritually blind. We were all once there. However, people in the world do not know they are blind. You can tell them they are blind all you want, but you won't get far. The reason being is you are expecting them to see what they cannot see. Remember, they do not know Jesus and they do not have the Holy Spirit. So constantly telling them they are blind by pointing out their blindness will not get you very far. However, when you share your testimony and they can see Jesus in you, that's when you might hear from them. How can I have what you have? How can I know Jesus? I have been around non-believers where it took a while before they made that decision to follow Christ. But they kept coming to me because they felt invited. I shared how my faith in God got me through my most difficult times. I talked about my personal weaknesses and how God worked them out in me. I was very transparent and I still am. And God continues to amaze me through the power of testimony. I remember one of my coworkers telling me, Martha, just keep sharing. You're getting to me. You're getting through. Now, I know about her life, about stuff she's done, but I didn't talk about it with her. I waited for her to tell me and ask me about it. Most of the time, I just listened. I approached her as a student trying to learn about my coworker and her situation. I did not approach her as some kind of judge calling her out on her sin. As Paul says, it's not my business to judge outsiders. However, it is my business to share my faith with them. And we do this by sharing what Jesus did for us. One of my favorite testimonies in the Bible is the Samaritan woman at the well. She also had an encounter with Jesus that would forever change her life. It wasn't when he began to speak to her that she began to see. In John 4, we learned that once the woman realized that Jesus was the Messiah, she ran to tell her town of her encounter with Jesus. In verses 39 through 42, it says, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to the, him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman 
We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see, the Samaritan woman met Jesus and could not wait to share with her town what she knew. It was her testimony that got people to want to meet Jesus. And once they met Jesus and heard him speak, they knew he was the Messiah. It started with her introducing them to Jesus and what he did for her that got their attention. You know, over the course of 20 years, I have seen God do incredible things through a believer's testimony. Word of mouth is very powerful. Just look at all the biblical accounts in the Bible that still draw people to Christ and continue to encourage our faith today. I understand the urgency to get people to hear the truth. However, make sure you are not trying to impersonate the Holy Spirit by trying to make people follow something they do not understand. You know, pride can be disguised as zeal. It causes us to look down on the unbeliever. If you find yourself frustrated and angry when sharing your faith, chances are you are operating in pride. It also means you are operating in your flesh and not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead. Because remember, he's a gentleman. It's not our job as Christians to fix unbelievers. It's our job to point them to the one who can. One of the issues I hear from non-believers about, about Christians is this. All they do is point out my sin and tell me I'm going to help. The response to this from Christians is this. If I know someone is dying and I have the cure, I'm going to tell them because I don't want them to die. Therefore, it justifies their blunt approaches. But again, the unbeliever can only think in the flesh and act in the flesh. They cannot submit to God. Therefore, they do not see themselves as dying or see their need for a cure. However, if you tell them about the doctor that saved you and how he helped you, they might be inclined to hear you out. What I want you to understand is that when we tell an unbeliever, you need to stop doing fill in the blank, whatever sin you see them doing, and get your life right with God. That's what we say. However, what you need to understand here, please listen, is what is being translated to the unbeliever is that, that, is that they must act like a Christian before coming to Christ. I'm going to say that one more time because I want to emphasize this. When we tell an unbeliever, hey, I see you doing this, this sin right here, and you need to get your life right with God. What is being translated to the unbeliever is that they must act like a Christian before coming to Christ. Now, I know that is not our intention, but that is how it is being translated to an unbeliever. That is why they say, 
I'm not ready because that is what they think you are asking of them. Okay. This approach is putting the cart before the horse. And the reason why I know this is because working in mental health, I run into people who say this to me all the time, that this is how Christians have talked to them. Therefore, your testimony, your own personal story is a perfect place to start. Talk about your sin, your life before Christ and what God saved you from. Trust me, they will start linking their own story to yours. Think about this for a minute. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus and Jesus to the Father. Therefore, since the Holy Spirit lives in us, it only makes sense for us to point unbelievers to Jesus, right? So point people to Christ through your testimony. Remember, no one can object to your story because you lived it. It is a gentle but powerful and effective approach. So as I close, understand this. Please listen here. It's not your job to save unbelievers. It's your job to share your faith and point them to Jesus. You might be the seed planner. You might be the one that waters the seed. But the one who grows it is God himself. God is the one who changes the hearts of people, not us. So introduce them to Jesus through your testimony and watch in amazement God work. God bless.